This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 462. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your substitute host, Jacob Paulson. I am joined today by Matthew Marister from Columbus, Ohio. Hello, hello. What's going on? So, Ohio has three major metros, mm-hmm. uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland. Is there like a like a, a battle there? Like which one's cool and which one's lame and stuff? Or is it like whatever, no one cares? I mean, I, I, it's kind of like three, like... I don't know, stepchildren deciding like who's the coolest, right? Like nobody's <laughs> actually as cool as like, you know, no, but uh, I think Cleveland's the best. That's where I'm from. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a big rivalry between, you know, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Columbus is kind of just like Columbus, you know, they're right in the middle. So, and it's smaller than the other two, I think. Yeah. Uh, I've never lived in a state that had more than one major city before. Uh, so. That's news to me, and I grew up in a in a state that didn't really have any major cities, as it were. <laughs> so, so uh, having three is kind of crazy to think about. Okay, well, welcome everyone. We're going to have a great episode today. We're going to be talking about justified saves, defensive gun use stories from the last few weeks. Uh, Matthew had a lot to choose from, and we've whittled it down to a small number of winners here. Seven news stories we're going to be reviewing today. Uh, We do have live attendees with us right now on Facebook and on YouTube as we record this. So we'll be monitoring those comments and responding uh, as as able and as appropriate. All right. First episode sponsors, because that's the thing we do. Today's episode is sponsored by Mantis and the Range Tech Shot Timer. So Mantis is a fancy device you connect to your gun via rail or otherwise, and it measures the movement of the gun and tells you what you're doing wrong when you shoot it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. It also has other features like draw analysis and stuff. And it's cool and fancy and tech awesomeness stuff. Bluetooth. Yeah. Incredibly like sophisticated stuff. Yeah, like it's smarter than me for sure. <laughs> and so you should pick one up. You can go to concealedcarry.com. Those are your first sale in our online store. I would ch- the X3 and the X10 are kind of the two major models right now. The X10's got all the bells and whistles, and the X3 is a little bit more of like a budget model for those of you who maybe don't care about draw analysis or some of the other features that are exclusive to the X10. And today's episode is also brought to you by the Range Tech Shot Timer, which also is a device that connects via Bluetooth to your phone. And I might add, the two work together. The reason I chose these two products to be our sponsors today is because I did some testing earlier this week at the request of a potential customer and discovered that you can use the Range Tech Shot Timer and the Mantis X at the same time. So you can go to the range, put the Mantis on your gun, uh, turn on your Shot Timer, launch the Range Tech app, connect it all up and good and dandy and stuff, and then minimize range tech, launch the Mantis app, connect the Mantis, and then hit go on your timer from the blue button, right, on the timer itself, shoot stuff. The Mantis will receive data, and then when you're ready, you can pop back over to the range tech app, uh, the range tech app and boom, all your shot times will be there. So those two products play well together. Mm-hmm. Good times. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. One other quick thing before we move forward. Uh, this this week and next week, we are hosting uh, and, and sponsoring a raffle. 
It's a raffle in which you can buy a $5 raffle ticket. There'll be 24 prizes given away on December 20th. And you can learn more about this raffle by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N. This raffle is a fundraiser. Uh, The money is going to be donated to a family who recently had a premature baby born and discovered that they thought that they had insurance coverage and they did not. And they've racked up a pretty significant, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, medical bill uh, with Grayson's time in the NICU. And so this fundraiser is to help support them and pay for those medical bills. And so you can buy a, no, I said five, I lied. It's a $10 raffle ticket. You can buy as many of those tickets as you want. And there will be 24 prizes uh, given out, uh, tickets drawn at random on December 21st. So mm-hmm. concealcare.com forward slash Grayson. Did you check that out, Matthew? Did you read that thing? I did. It's pretty cool. It doesn't get much better than that as far as like, you know, pulling together to help help out a cause. So, yep. Um, yep. yeah. And there's some pretty sweet prizes on here. I don't know if you look through it. You I can didn't win see a Pridgecon RMR. <laughs> it's a yeah, $700 optic. Yeah, it's huge. There's, there's a mod light. You can win a Mantis X10, a Mantis Blackbeard. That thing's cool. $250 gift card to New Bold Targets. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And then a bunch of stuff from us. You know, we're, we threw in like a Yellowstone kit from my medical. There's a shot timer in there, handful of our uh, video courses and other stuff too. So guys, find it in your heart, concealedcare.com forward slash Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N. You can buy your raffle tickets through December 20th and you can buy as many of those tickets as you feel so inclined to support that family. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Okie dokie. So it's time to get to the news. And first, we're going to Tampa Bay, Florida. Uh, I read this one earlier this week, Matthew. You sent it to our, our company team, a team in our company, and I was reading through this one, and I just thought, what? Like, this is shameful. Now, I'm not a cop. I've never been a cop. But you, Matthew, you've, you've put on a badge before. Like, mm-hmm. give us the breakdown. What happened here, and what did you think when you read the story? All right. So first of all, guys, if you haven't seen it, uh, like you said, this this happened in uh, in Florida. So deputies get a call. Uh, well, first of all, a, a guy. He's a, a guy who beat. I think it was polio. Was that what? He's a childhood survivor of polio or something like that. Yeah, he's seventy um, years old and he's a childhood polio survivor. Yeah, so pr- pretty pretty good right there. Um, he hears some noises outside his home. Uh, comes down, flips on the light, and sees a dude uh, outside his home who's obviously, you know, agitated. Starts charging at the door. He has this glass kind of storm door in front of his front door, and dude's trying to like break into the into the uh, into the home through this through this door. Um, he had uh, the guy inside. I forget his name. Nor nor. Kunis. Nor Kunis. His name's Bill. Bill. We'll call him Bill. Bill. It's a little easier. Bill's easier. So, so Bill grabs a firearm that he has with him uh, and calls the police. Seems or calls the deputy. Seems uh, pretty reasonable. Well, as he's on the phone with the dispatcher, he's telling him, "Hey, you know, you guys got to send the send deputies down here. Somebody's trying to break into my home. I have a firearm." Uh, on the call, uh, dispatcher hears in the you know him telling commands that, Hey, you know, don't come in. I'm going to shoot you. He's yelling at the, at the guy through the door. Um, 
and telling the, the the dispatcher, hey, you know, send him over. If this guy comes in, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to I'm going to shoot him. Um, so basically, this goes on for about 15 minutes. He's on the phone with uh, with dispatchers asking him about like uh, why he's on the phone with the dispatcher. You know, what am I going to do? Can I shoot this guy when he comes to my home? I don't know what's going on. Where are they? Um, he, you know, he's says some expletives and stuff like that. Um, base and and eventually this guy shatters this, this kind of glass, it's not a storm door. It's just like a glass kind of insert into the door. Um, the glass shatters, they hear that in the background. Um, and still deputies aren't there. And he's like, where the heck is everybody? Well, deputies staged around the corner. There were 18 deputies that show up. In stage, they don't come down the street, and he he lives on kind of like a dead end or a cul-de-sac a type cul-de-sac. street, right? And uh, they stage and start searching the area, or basically uh, canvassing the area to make sure there's not additional suspects or that other people aren't in danger. Instead of going to the guy who's actually in danger, um, and eventually they only take the guy into custody because. The guy smashing into the door, you know, he doesn't actually gain access, but he ends up walking down the street to the police and turns himself in. That's I mean, the guy is kind of a a little nutty, but um, it's insane. It's absolutely insane what happened. And, you know, I I, I, as I read it, I'm just uh, I'm thinking, you know, there's a there's technique and there's tactics and there's officer safety and all that. And, you know, we can argue about like, should, should officers just rush in and, 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 you know, throw, throw tactics to the wind, but there's tactics and officer safety. And then there's cowardice and just complete, um, uh, you know, a disabandonment of the oath of, you know, protecting people who are actually in danger. And, uh, I, this, leans way to the latter and uh you know i'm I'm pro cop and everything and i understand it's difficult decisions but when 18 officers are or deputies or whatever are staged around the corner and somebody's inside their home and somebody's trying to break in uh you know <laughs> that's not the time to stage and, and come up with some 45 minute plan um it was just is horrible is a horrible story to read yeah it's shameful like from the perspective of the homeowner, this is a 70-year-old man who it mentions that not only did he retrieve his gun, but it said he retrieved his crutches. So that gives you some sense for this man's like he's got physical disabilities. He's 70 and he uses crutches to get around. Mm-hmm. He's unclothed. His bare feet are getting cut up by broken glass, it said. And he's like for 15 minutes fighting against someone trying to get into his room. Like, like, like this is going to be a physically exhausting battle, trying to keep someone on the other side of this door who's breaking the glass to get in. Right. And, and so that's like a really harrowing experience. Now flip it around and put yourself in the shoes of the officers. And it just, it's hard to imagine how you justify these decisions, right? Like the, the first officers on scene, maybe by himself, maybe with a partner, it's like, oh, yep, there's the house right here in this cul-de-sac. I see it down there. Yeah, I think I can see a guy breaking in. Like, let's stay here yeah. because uh, because the homeowner's got a gun and we don't want to get shot. Like, is that it? And then a couple more officers show up. It's like, oh, great. Now there's four of us. Um, you two start checking the rest of the neighborhood. Make sure that guy down there that we can see doesn't have an accomplice somewhere. 
we'll mm-hmm. all just hang here. Like five more dudes show up, and it's like, yeah, that's the bad guy down there. You see him? Yeah, we see him too. We're we're checking the neighborhood and just securing the cul-de-sac. Don't worry. Like it's just <laughs> it's just mind. Like what are we waiting for SWAT to show up for a guy mm-hmm. trying to break through a door? I'm I'm completely confused. Yeah, it's terrible. And, you know, this happened right with uh, with the school shooting, similar, you know, type where off uh, deputies staged for an uh, inappropriate amount of time before taking action. But, you know, I think it underscores the 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 thing that we kind of are saying is that, um, you know, you are your own first responder. No one is coming to save you. Um, and, you know, they may be they may be genuinely wanting to they might not be able to get there in time or maybe they just don't have the the willpower or the training to do it appropriately or quickly or expeditiously and stuff. And so, you know, you don't know what response you're going to get, right? You know, we love officers and stuff and and, and we need them, but you don't know the, the response you're going to get and you don't know the time. And so in that gap, you are your own first responder. And if you don't have some sort of plan, some sort of anything in your mind, um, you know, it, it may not work out very well for you. So, um, yeah, this was one of those kind of eye openers, um, eye opening stories that was pretty troubling to read, but, you know, uh, honestly not super surprising understanding that like, uh, some officers may be tending to hold back, uh, rushing into some incident where they believe that they're probably going to have to shoot somebody or high possibility because they don't want to be the guy that, you know, gets charged with murder or girl that gets charged with murder or, you know, um, their actions are, are put under such a microscope that, you know, they're, they're, they're fired or something for, for something. So, um, that may or may not be part of this. Uh, I don't know. It could be training, could be a lot of things, but on our half, you know, we have to have some sort of plan, some sort of idea of what what's going to happen in the time that it takes to get the the the, the police response. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, well said, Matthew. I mean, the the takeaway is exactly what you said, which is that we can't control the police. We can sit here in armchair quarterback what they should have done all day long, but it's really irrelevant. We don't know their reasons. We don't know their justification. Maybe they had some. Maybe they didn't. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that we get to look at this and say, once again, this is evidence that you can't count on them. Um, when police officers do their job and do it well, it very rarely makes the news. So most of the news we do get is examples of them doing things poorly, or at least from the perspective and information we have them doing something poorly. And so, yeah, just, just a good reminder. One other thing, I'll just kind of briefly come back to the homeowners, uh, decisions. From what I can tell here, the criminal had no gun. The criminal was trying to, physically break their way into the house through the door, but the criminal had no gun. And so in that circumstance, I think the homeowner exercised some pretty good judgment across the 15 minutes. He never fired. He never had to shoot through the door at the suspect. Um, He never felt inclined to do any of that. All he did is to the best of our ability, he retrieved a firearm. He was ready to fire if he felt it was necessary. He called 911, didn't really help him out much, but he did. And he physically did his part to try and uh, restrict access. And so I thought that that was all really good lessons. We've definitely seen homeowners that in the same circumstance will just fire. They'll start shooting into that door. Yeah. Um, and, and that's their tactics. And so in this case, 
uh, this this man, I see, it seems to me, exercised really good judgment, and uh, everyone got to go home with no additional shots fired, and and uh, you know worked out really well in the end. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. One of the quotes in there, I think he says something like, uh, I've never shot anybody. I don't want to shoot this guy or I've never used my gun against somebody, you know. So he, he's going through this in his mind like, man, this is it. Like I might have gone to the range and practice. Maybe maybe he hasn't. Maybe, you know, has or hasn't. But like I may have to put a, a, a round through a human being. And this is something that like I'm really trying to do, you know, with due diligence or discretion when I, because I have the opportunity to do that, you know, the time and, and distance and, and a little bit of a barricade there. So um, it was good. To, if you read the article, uh, you get a good glimpse into how the guy's mind was going during this, this 15 minutes of like, what the heck is going on? I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the link will be in the show notes for everybody listening and watching. Okay. We are now going to Minneapolis, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Star Tribune in Minneapolis. Headline reads, uh, charge, man, fatally shot woman in St. Paul, fled with her gun. Now, I had to read this one a few times, Matthew, to try and make sure I got the facts right. So you just jump in here if I screw this up. (laughs) Okay. So here's what I gather. It's 3.40 a.m. And... Uh, we have a confrontation between a man and a woman. Uh, the woman, uh, she has recently obtained a, quote, government-issued permit to carry a firearm because the area where she lived wasn't safe, end quote. So this is a woman who recently said, hey, I don't." she felt like she didn't live in a very safe area, so she did whatever was necessary in Minneapolis, which does require taking a class. Uh, and generally, that, those classes, you fire a gun in, in Minnesota. So she she obtains a government-issued permit to carry a gun. She's got a gun, and she's confronted uh, in, in, in the residential area, I presume near or at her home, um, by a man. And the man is you know trying to rob her. In fact, it says that he did, in the end, also leave her with uh, – take her cell phone as well. So there's a confrontation, and uh, the two are kind of you know dancing it out from what we can tell. And the, the BG – uh, has a gun as well and shoots this woman. Uh, her name's Anna. She's 41 years old. And, um, and yeah, shoots her and, and, and then takes her cell phone and her gun, which presumably she must, she might've displayed or drawn or, you know, somehow the BG knew that it was there or, or maybe found it after the fact. And uh, then, and then takes off and the woman eventually uh, dies. She's fatally shot, and she she later passes away. So, those are the facts. Does that? I mean, did I miss any details? I don't know that we know much more than that. No, not really. Um, it, it, in in the article, it says that there's a vi- there's a surveillance video of this incident, and it says it doesn't say anything about it. Shows it says that she backed up, and it shows her drawing a firearm, but then it's unclear. Uh, if when the when after she shot, if he goes down and grabs the gun from her waistband, or if it's the cell phone from her waistband, or something, um, but it's difficult to know. And it, what we do know is she was shot by his firearm, not her own. So there's a you know when you, if you first read it, it seems like you know he disarmed her and shot her, but she, he shot her with a firearm that he owned. Um, interesting fact that the dude is either on parole, probation because he has an ankle monitor that he cut off, and he was involved in a shooting 
um, a, 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 hours earlier at a funeral for somebody who was shot in a drive-by shooting. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, this dude isn't a good dude. And she's concerned enough because she says that I live in a bad neighborhood, but you're hanging out with a dude who just shot up a funeral and probably is involved in other crimes because he had criminal history with gun related charges and all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not questioning, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, she had anything, you know, any she deserved to be shot or anything like that. But um, it, when you you know, th this is the this is a reality for a lot of people that they live in a bad neighborhood. The people they know are involved in criminal activity and things like that. And um, unfortunately, when you're you know, meeting up with some dude who's cut off his ankle monitor at three 30 in the morning, bad things tend to happen. And uh, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, this woman obviously didn't deserve to lose her life. Um, but, you know, um, just because you have a firearm doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be protected from somebody who is a sociopath. And we tend to think that, you know, having a firearm will you know, uh, cause somebody to think twice before they target us as a, as a, um, you know, a victim. And this guy may have, or may not have known that she had a firearm on her, but like, even if he did, um, I am willing to bet that he had no qualms about attacking her, whether she was armed or not. Um, these are, this is the way the ultra violent people or highly violent criminals think they're not just interested in taking your, you know, your phone. They want to smash your face in to take your phone. They don't care if you have a firearm. So, um, you know, I don't want to get in the whole open carry versus concealed carry, but we have to have more than just a firearm on us. We have to have the the understanding of how to use it and what's going on and, and the will to fight. So. Yeah. yeah, this is hard because it's, it's sometimes we make assumptions that we can't make. Like, oh, the assumption sometimes is, well, if I display my gun, then I'll dissuade this attacker and that'll be enough to save a life. Well, it didn't work out in this case. You know, mm -hmm. if that was what she was thinking was, I'm just going to get this gun out and display it and that might de-escalate this situation. Nope. Um, it might be, in fact, the display of her gun that escalated the situation. It might be the display of her gun that caused uh, this to go down the way it went down. The cause the the, the BG decided to start shooting. Like, oh, she's got a gun. No, no problem. Like, I'll I'll mow her down. Then right. we don't know from the story whether or not she got any shots off at all. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that was because she was just not prepared to fire her gun, or whether or not she didn't have the opportunity or time before she was taking. Oh, we don't know. Uh, it's just it's not clear if she fired any shots. She might have. She might not have. But I think the takeaways for me would be, number one, um, if this if someone's got a gun in their hand, I know that they have they they have at least the potential to inflict bad bad nasty you know serious injury and death on me. Then, if I decide to react with a gun, that action is going to include shooting. Like like I'm not going to draw a gun on a gun and be like I got one too. Like mm -hmm. no no no. no if, if 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 the decision is to react with my gun. And they have a gun or other serious means of, of doing bad, nasty, nasty things. Bullets are probably going to fly. Uh, I, you know, there's exceptions to everything, but it, it seems like no, we don't. We don't say check it out. I got one too. That that seems like a poor use of tactics. Um, it's it's probably time if it's time to draw the gun on a gun. It's probably time to shoot that gun. And and lastly, I think just this idea that uh, the the reality of well, if I'm going to have a gun and carry it around. 
that that's a tool I have to be willing to use. I have to be willing to use that tool, not just think that it's a, a way to de-escalate a situation or put someone in fear. And later we're going to talk about, in fact, the potential legal consequences of just yeah. putting someone in fear. So that's going to come up. Okay, Matthew, that was an interesting one. Let's now go to, let's see, where is this? K-I-R-O Channel 7. Oh. Yeah, Fife, where, where? Washington. Fife, Washington. Washington. Yeah. Okay. Fife, Washington. All right. So this is an interesting one because it claims by headline, Fife man murdered in shootout with robbers who followed him home. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah. So this one kind of, I mean, it, it hits on a lot of the same things that we had in the last incident. So this one, um, police say a Fife man was followed home, robbed, then murdered in a shootout with two suspects. Um, they were later detained. One of them, they both show up at the hospital. One has gunshot wounds. One doesn't. Um, and they're detained and they connect uh, the shooting. Um, the person who was robbed and shot um, uh, ends up dying on scene. Um, but it's unfortunate. So so basically, and, and police don't know why this guy was targeted, why they followed him home or if they knew them or not. doesn't seem like they knew him, but they targeted him for some reason. They followed him a certain way until he got to his home. Uh, he doesn't make it inside the home, but um, they are he's robbed and um, he draws a firearm and they begin to get into a shootout. Um, bullets fly both ways. The bullets that strike him end up killing him. The bad guy survives. Um, and this is one of those stories of, you know, this guy fought for his life. I don't know the circumstances. We don't know um, exactly, um, you know, was he drawing on a drawn gun? Did he have the opportunity to deescalate it? Is drawing the gun what caused these bad guys to shoot him? Or, what, you know, were they going to shoot him anyways? And he just decided, hey, if I don't get my gun out, I'm going to get shot anyways. I might as well uh, impact this event somehow. And we don't really know, but we do know um, from this and what the big takeaway is, is that bullets go both ways. And if you're drawing a firearm, it's probably because there's a deadly threat or it should be. Um, and that means that you have a possibility of dying. And so this is what ends up happening to this victim uh, who was targeted by two dudes um, it's just a sad story, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's the reality of what we do and why, you know, anybody who, who, who can avoid a situation or um, says, you know, oh, I got my concealed handgun license. Now I'm going to go here. I can go here now or do this that I wouldn't have done it before, but now I have this. So, you know, I have my gun. It's going to protect me. And it's like, um, and I'm not saying that's what this was, but this is a story reminding us to avoid, um you, you tr try to avoid as best we can and be aware of your surroundings and, 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 you know, identify threats before they become a situation where you have to respond uh, with the firearm if, if possible. So it, it's, it's a sad story. We're the bears of bad news today, aren't we? I just realized like so far, yeah. all the stories we've covered are not super fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what we, I mean, we just know so little, like we, what we know about the story is two dudes followed other person home shoot out between them occurred uh good guy killed criminals survived so that's that's really like the extent of the fact that we have yeah we don't know again why they were targeted uh you covered a lot of good tactical you know considerations i i that but that does like linger in my mind right because most of the time, the apparel I wear every day, like, shouts a gun owner. 
<laughs> not always. It depends on where I go. But most days I work from home or I go to the office and back. And if that's the extent of my travels and exposure for the day, I, I got no problem pulling on a shirt that says this dude definitely has a gun. Um, now, if I'm going to go volunteer at my daughter's school, if that ever happens again after COVID, uh, or if I'm going to go grocery shopping, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I wear. Uh, I don't put stickers on my vehicles that, you know, shout gun owner. Um, but I guess, you know, just understanding that it could be completely random. It could have been any of us too. It just could have been like, hey, that, that dude looks cool. Let's go get him. Uh, so we don't know. We don't know. So I think that was a good review of, of some of the lessons learned here. Um, I guess I have one more th- thing I'll add. This appears to have happened kind of in a street, like out, outdoors and you know, before maybe the man got to his home or something if he was walking home. I don't know. I don't know if this is true because I've not actually had to draw my gun and shoot at anybody yet, but I'd like to believe that if I ever have to draw my gun and press a trigger, that something that hopefully, hopefully my training will trigger that will be very deep in my brain and come very quickly is I need cover now. Uh, Maybe that'll cross my mind before I go to the trigger. Maybe it won't. Maybe the gun will come out and trigger will get pressed and it'll be the next thing I think of. I don't know. But I, I certainly like to believe that I'll have the wherewithal to be thinking about cover because cover is the difference maker when bullets start flying. Uh, like you said, Matthew, they go both ways. And my number one priority should be putting something between me and oncoming bullets, something that's likely to deflect and or stop that that fire. And if I'm standing in the middle of the street, that's a tough sell. Uh, I might have to move pretty good distance to get to something that, that deflects and or stops bullets. Uh, you know, we all laugh about Hollywood and cars, but I'd, I'd run behind a car. Absolutely. Uh, if that's what I, the closest thing I had, man, I'd be moving. That may or may not have made a difference in this situation, but I guess I just wanted to reemphasize the importance and the value of cover and or concealment for that matter, putting any object I can between me and the un- oncoming bullets has got to be a serious priority when pr- when triggers start getting pressed. Yeah, couldn't add anything. That's just, it's got to be part of the equation, you know? Without yeah. All right. The next one is the last of what I would call the semi-bad <laughs> news ones. But if this if this headline wouldn't get your attention, well, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You're not you're not our tribe because this headline says homeowner who held neighbor's alleged attacker at gunpoint charged with felony menacing. Uh, Matthew, you're a cop. What's felony menacing? Yeah, I mean, it, it different states might have a different you know, verbiage of how the law is written, but basically it would be um, using your firearm to, you know, uh, relay some sort of threat or implication that you're going to harm the person or that you're going to use, uh, you know, the threat of violence it, it, coupled with, uh, with, with, you know, the potential to carry out whatever act you're, you're, you know, threatening them with. Yeah. Yeah. So putting a person in fear of their life or serious bodily injury with your use of a gun as a threat. Uh, in this case, the gun, right? I, I don't think the gun's required for felony menacing, but in this case, a gun was, was used. So <laughs> yeah, this one brings back memories. I mean, you, you can go back to episode one where we talk about felony menacing. I've had now 
two of my students be court ordered to retake my class because of this kind of a situation where they were charged with felony menacing or aggravated assault with a weapon. And they basically plea bargained it with the judge down to I'll retake a gun safety class. So that was lucky for them. But, but I guess I'm trying to communicate this happens more often than you think. All right. So this one's in Colorado. So I'll give you the breakdown. This is just uh, this in Colorado Springs. And effectively, what we know now, we may not have known this when the police filed the arrest, right? But what we know now from some good surveillance video and stuff is that a woman, I don't know if she wakes up or if she just can't sleep at night, but she notices a car making the rounds on the street from about 3.30 a.m. to like 5 a.m. This car keeps going back and forth and, you know, it's gone for a while. Then it shows up again. And the homeowner's like, this is weird. What's up with this white car out here? Like, this is bizarre. So they decide to go out and check, right? So walks out and flags, you know, hey, what are you doing out here? And the driver of the car says, I'm delivering the mail. You know that's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so our homeowner says something like, that's not true, or, you know, since 3.30 a.m., or I don't think, you know, whatever, something along the lines of, yeah, don't think so. And, uh, you know, the, the mail delivery driver <laughs> says, says something like none of your effing business or, you know, other expletives. And so the homeowner decides it'd probably be a good idea to whip out the phone and take a picture of this person's uh, license plate. So phone comes out to take a picture, which, by the way, documenting stuff is super awesome, smart idea. Like you, All of us carry around cameras now. It's an amazing tool. But. Our male, supposed male delivery driver doesn't like that their license plate is being pictured. And so they exit the vehicle. They apparently uh, fail to put the car in park. So the car starts rolling down the street while they get into it with the picture-taking homeowner. Um, it's physical. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a fight. People touch each other in a way that causes damage. And it's not awesome. Well, a neighbor who also apparently happens to be awake or woke up from this early in the morning um, decides that doesn't sound good or look good. And so our neighbor friend, I think his name is Lawrence. I have to double check that, but I think his name is Larry Lawrence. Yeah. So our friend Larry, he gets his gun and it's funny what the, what the news story says about his gun. Hold on. I (laughs) I gotta, I gotta get the quote on this one. Um, hold on. This is good. This it's worth waiting. I'm scrolling. Here it is. He says he came outside with quote a World War II handgun. End quote. So when the news interviewed this man, he didn't say a gun or my 1911. He he told the news, the journalist, the reporter, quote, I grabbed my World War II handgun. Okay. <laughs> Now, so so Larry, he's got his World War II, which, by the way, like I have no problem with that. I just find it extremely interesting that those would be the words he uses to describe it to the news. But it's all it's all good. Like grab whatever your gun you want, bro. So Larry has his World War II handgun. I presume it's a 1911, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. It's not some German like Luger or something, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Let's presume <laughs> it's a 1911 because John Moses Browning. And so he he comes out and uh, he he sees now that that the the woman the you know alleged male delivery driver has jumped back into her car 
which by the way, when it was rolling on its own, it ran into some other parked cars. That's how it stopped. So the person jumped back into their car. That's now made a collision, probably a light one. Um, and, and is, is, you know, trying to, to bail on this, but Larry gets there before <laughs> our alleged mail delivery person can get away. So Larry, uh, he, he, he's a little aggressive. Uh, he says, quote, I put the gun up to the window and said, get the keys out of the ignition and get out of the car. End quote. He says that his neighbor had called down to him from the top of the hill, telling him to not let her leave and that she, you know, the neighbor had been assaulted. Larry says, quote, I had no idea whether she had been knifed, shot, I didn't know what was going on. I thought I had done well. Okay, so police show up, and police are like, uh, oh, uh, this is this is crazy stuff, right? So police basically arrest everyone. All three parties get arrested. Our two uh, initial, you know, involved people are, you know, supposed mail delivery driver and initial license plate picture-taking homeowner um, they get charged with disorderly conduct, and our friend Larry, with his World War II handgun, gets charged with felony menacing. Okay, now eventually, uh, and I know this this is crazy crap. Like I know I'm maybe I'm going slow, but I think that the details are fun. Yeah. So eventually, the news team obtains some video from I don't know doorbell cameras or something. I, I don't know where this video, but the the news team has some video of the incident unfolding, the initial confrontation, the woman getting out of her car, throwing punches, you know, stuff. And they turn it over to law enforcement. Once law enforcement gets all the awesome video coverage, uh, they decide to reevaluate and they ultimately, uh, let's see. Oh, I want to make sure I get the right words. They file a motion to dismiss charges against Larry and Lisa. Larry being our World War II handgun guy and Lisa being the license plate picture taker. So charges eventually get dropped and all is right with the world. All right, Matthew, I drug that out a little bit, but I thought that we had so much awesome detail on this one. <laughs> yeah, We rarely get all that, all that detail. So what do you make of this? Yeah. So this is, I mean, obviously, you know, this is one of those, an indication or, or a good example story um, of you don't know what you're getting involved in. Right. Mm -hmm. And when yeah, you no intervene, <laughs> right. Like, and you intervene with potential deadly force of, you know, you know, pointing a firearm at somebody um, you just don't know what's going on. Now to his credit, he, the woman said she had been assaulted um, in the story, it says she was punched or something, knocked her glasses off. And, uh, you know, she could have had some injuries on her face. It's in the middle of the night. The woman just crashed. You know, he comes out and sees a vehicle crashed into a, into another car. Um, and you know, his neighbor's like, Hey, I was just assaulted. Don't let her leave. I think, you know, it's reasonable to think that he's going to go and try to stop uh, them from from leaving. I think you know that probably be a reaction most of us would would do uh, or would 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 consider um, whether or not we'd point a firearm at somebody who you know isn't 
you know, doesn't have a firearm, doesn't have a weapon, doesn't have, isn't a threat to us uh, at the time. And we're using force to detain that person for some crime that we don't know. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the, the bad part about it. Right. Um, but, you know, given all that, um, I still think that it was pretty ridiculous that the police arrived and arrested everybody. Um, I mean, we're looking at it after the fact, but you gotta, you gotta think that somebody driving around at three 30 in the morning saying they're delivering mail probably isn't doing anything good. Uh, they get into a, a, an altercation with another woman. Um, I don't think this woman was waiting on, on her porch at three 30 in the morning for someone to assault. So it's probably, she's not the instigator of the of the, of the fight. So it's, it's, it's strange to me that they just basically said, we're going to arrest both of you guys and dude, you're getting arrested and we're going to charge you with a felony. They, you know, obviously after a month, the police never got the video, which is crazy, right? Like they didn't go out and canvas the area and say, Hey, does anybody have a doorbell cam or anything? They don't go out in the daytime and contact neighbors or anything trying to solve this. They're just like, Hey, we, we did our job. Somebody's going to go to jail for this or somebody's going to get charged. But um, it, it's crazy. So the, the news, the reporters get the video and give it to the uh, police or the DA who finally end up um, dismissing the charges and but in the story, it says, um, you know, the, the, this case talking about Larry, Larry is now free. The case has taken financial strain on his wallet. He says he has to pay thousands of dollars in attorney fees and court costs. Lisa is also glad it was dismissed, but it, she's upset that she has to pay 65 bucks to uh, expunge or, or, or seal her record uh, because she was arrested. And obviously that shows up. So it's, it's kind of, you know, all around, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things where you, I'm not saying don't get involved on anybody and, you know, your, your neighbor's like, Hey, stop them. They assaulted me. And you're like, Hey, I heard this story. I'm not going to get involved, but just try to use appropriate and reasonable force when you're getting involved um, as best you can. But yeah, I, I don't know what more I could add from what you, you said. It was a, pretty crazy little series of events there. If I'm Larry and I got my John Moses Browning gun <laughs> and I come out of my house and my neighbor's like, I've been assaulted. Stop them. Don't let them leave. You know, Larry said himself, he didn't know if his neighbor had been just, you know, punched in the face or stabbed or shot, hmm. which means Larry openly is admitting. He doesn't know if the car he's about to walk up on and stick a gun in the window if he's going to get shot at, if he's going to get stabbed, or if the person's going to be like, oh, please don't shoot me. No, he doesn't know. Right. So to me, that was like, tactically, I wouldn't have done that. I would not be like, well, I mean, at least in hindsight, right? I'd like to believe I wouldn't have done that. I'd like to believe that I would have had the wherewithal to be like, walking up to that car right now might, might put me, myself in more danger uh, than I currently am standing right here. So being a good witness, taking a description, you said it yourself, Matthew, when, when I can't remember the exact words you said, but, but you know, you got to ask yourself, like, what is the objective of your actions? Like, what, what is it you're trying to achieve? Because what Larry was trying to achieve was to prevent this person from escaping. Mm-hmm. And when your objective is to prevent someone from escaping, uh, you can't legally do that with a gun. Like, I don't know how to be more clear than that. There's not a state in this, and if, guys, if you can prove me wrong, please email me. And if and if you, if I'm wrong, I will announce it in a future episode of this podcast. But take take me at my word. There is not a place in the United States of America where 
Should you not be a sworn in officer? Should you not have a badge? If you're just like me or Matthew today, who's a retired law enforcement officer, that there's not a state in the country where you can use a gun or the threat of a gun to prevent someone from escaping. You can't do that. That's illegal. You can use a gun to prevent someone from hurting somebody after they've committed a crime, right? You might be able to prevent their escape or submit them to custody without a gun, you know, in, in some other physical way. But when you, you there, there's not a place in this country where a non-cop can use a gun or the threat of a gun to prevent someone's escape or submit them to custody. That's that's not a, you can't do that. So there's not a doubt in my mind that Larry's actions were arguably illegal. Arguably illegal. They are, are, are arguably legal. I mean, the argument on the legal side would be something like, well, Larry thought that this person was going to hurt someone else, you know, in the immediate future. Or Larry thought that this person had a gun and was going to shoot him uh, when he, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a tough sell. But the argument obviously could be made. But I, I call Larry's actions illegal in my book. So the DA getting the video and choosing to drop the charges is also a great example of a prosecutor or DA's office or sometimes the police officer exercising some discretion to say, hey, we have laws and maybe this person broke one, but the spirit of the thing is that this person really doesn't need to be charged. They didn't really do anything wrong and we don't need to push this one through our overly heavy legal system that is already backed up. Yeah. So that's my two cents on this. A, getting involved to the to, in the way he did, I think, was tactically foolish. And B, arguably illegal. So it worked out okay for Larry in the end, but he's out some cash. Yes. Uh, we don't know how much. Super, super good like analysis and, and, you know, kind of because a lot of times we'll read something and I'll even read, you know, a story where I'm like, I can't believe this person wasn't charged knowing that it's criminal, right? Their, their act is letter of the law criminal. And just because they're not charged, um, you know, to somebody who's just kind of gleaning over and they don't get into the substance or think about like, is what they did legal, not just were they charged, right? Because like, whether or not somebody was charged or whether they're convicted of something doesn't mean that what they did was elite was or wasn't illegal. Correct. And so that's a huge distinction. So people will be like, well, you know, I I've read all kinds of stories or my buddy got in a shooting and he did this and that, and he was never arrested. And it's like, it doesn't mean what he did wasn't illegal. It just means they had some discretion and chose not to prosecute, you know, or, or charge. And so um, we got to be careful with that. And it's good that you pointed that out. Yeah, we see innocent people get charged all the time. Oh, we yeah. certainly see guilty people not get charged. So, you know, that's that's the point. That's why our system has discretion. And so I, I have no problem with the charges being dropped. Like, I don't want Larry to go to jail. Um, this is probably a minimum 10-year prison sentence if he was convicted of felony menacing. I don't want Larry to spend 10 years in jail. I don't think that would be fair. But I kind of sort of think what he did was illegal based on what I know. I, I I will leave you with this thought. We got other news stories to get to, but this was my favorite one from today. What's your objective? If if your mindset is truly a defensive mindset, the kind of mindset we we talk about on this podcast all the time, the, the kind of mindset I'd like to think I'm trying to ingrain for myself, then when I walk out the front porch with my 1911 and my neighbor says she assaulted me, don't let her go. 
I hope that a true defensive mindset person would say, my job right now, my objective is to A, ensure I live to tell the tale, and two, that my neighbor lives. And if those are my two core objectives, then running over to there to that car and shoving my gun in the window <laughs> is not the best course of action to ensure those two primary objectives. Um, you know, running to my neighbor, checking on her injuries, um, you know, maybe getting her to cover, or my, my me myself taking cover and waiting to see how the situation unfolds for the next thirty seconds before I do anything drastic. Those would probably be the actions dictated by a defensive mindset where one's objective is to survive and to make sure that the innocent party also survives. So for whatever that's worth. Yep. Perfect. All right. Let's go to the carjacking in St. Louis. So this is another one. We don't get a lot of details, but our headline carjacking victim shoots kills 14 year old suspect in Jennings. Matthew, take us through this one. Yeah, so Jennings isn't too far from Ferguson. Um, it's not a great area in uh, in St. Louis, but um, basically, uh, they actually give the boy's name, which normally they don't in it, it, when they're juveniles. But uh, basically, a about three forty five p.m. So in the afternoon, uh, parking lot of gas station. Um, a, a, these two juveniles, one is 14, the other one we don't know the age or the name, um, apparently climb into the vehicle of this 53-year-old man um, who I would assume must have either gone into the you know, uh, store, the, the gas station to pay or, or something, leaves the car door open. And these two juveniles, um, armed with a firearm, have the idea of let's get into this vehicle and uh, possibly to carjack this guy. Um, he gets back in the vehicle. Everything's going as planned. Like, they get in the car. Uh, we got our gun. Everything's good to go. Um, and apparently this this man uh, notices these guys as they produce a firearm. Uh, he happens to be also armed and um, shoots one of them in the chest. Uh, that kid runs the 14 year old who ends up dying. Uh, he runs in and collapses dead on scene and the accomplice runs off and is gone. Um, they don't know uh, what's going on. Or actually, I'm sorry. The, the, the boy who was shot, he was taken to the ho- hospital. He, he died at the hospital, not on scene. Um, they recover the firearm from the suspect who was shot or the, the, the boy who was shot. And um, it says here that they, they took the, the man, who shot the guy, they took his firearm too. Um, and um, it, 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 it's not clear. I mean, obviously in, in the story, it doesn't say he was charged uh, with anything. Um, but obviously this is one of those things where the the headline is like 14 year old boy shot. And it's easy to think that this was some sort of, you know, um, incident where, uh, y- you know, a, a kid was shot and, I'll go into further just to say that in this article, it links to um, another article that talks about, you know, underage people shot in St. Louis uh, in how many and how extraordinarily high that number of juveniles shot in the city is compared to other big cities. And, um, you know, 
I'm not like it's tragic. If you look at if you read the article and you look at the numbers of juveniles that are shot in this area, it's ridiculously disproportionate. It's terrible. The crime is is extremely high. Um, but I I do um, want to caution. You know, sometimes it's jumping to to statistics because these conflate both criminal shootings, you know, uh, of kids that are like this, a 14 year old kid who's involved in criminal activity in the shot and just random kid playing on the sidewalk and, you know, house gets shot up by a gang member and that child dies. So both tragic, both, you know, horrific that somebody lost their life. But I, I think that we would differentiate those as, as, you know, an innocent victim versus somebody who's involved in criminal activity. But, um, you know, be that as it may, pretty crazy story, but think of it. It's not just one 14 year old, but it's a 14 year old who's armed with another accomplice trying to carjack somebody. And, uh, this is, it's a terrible outcome, but, uh, thank goodness this dude had a firearm because who knows what they would have done. I mean, I, I don't know just cause they're 15, 14 doesn't mean they're not going to shoot and kill somebody. So yeah, they got a gun. We've seen it happen yeah. before. Right. So mm-hmm. super valid analysis. We don't know, um, from reading the story I don't, it's not clear to me like where everybody was when guns started fire, like when guns were fired. It's not clear to me if the defender was in his car or if he was outside of his car or uh, it's just a lot of things are not super clear to me, but so tactically it's hard to, to put in a lot of analysis except to say that obviously it you're, you're both legally and morally justified in using a gun when you think someone else is going to hurt or, <laughs> or kill you. And so, um, you know, we will just presume that this guy was defending his life and not his Cadillac. Right. It was a Cadillac. Apparently that's noteworthy by the journalist. <laughs> yeah. Of all the, of all the facts, right. You throw yeah. in the, that's right. It's, it's a Cadillac. So, yep. Valid. And I appreciate what you said about statistics that often, you know, this is, this is an instance of somebody out there later is going to say, look at all the kids in America that are getting killed by gun violence, you know, today. And it's like, well, you know, some of the, some of the kids in that statistic you're throwing around are the ones committing the violence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's, let's not get hasty. Okay. We're going to Northeast Philadelphia. Speaking of metros, they have more than one large metro area yeah. in Pennsylvania. They got two massive metro areas. Okay. So we're in Philadelphia and we're at a wing stop. Matthew wing stop. You, you, you get some yep. wings at wing stop. Yeah. Yeah. Good wings. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, for a chain, it's pretty good. <laughs> so we're in a, a wing stop. Uh, dude walks in at 1030 on Sunday night. For those of you who live in Philadelphia, it's the 2100 block of Cotman Avenue. Okay, so 53-year-old man walks in at 1030 on a Sunday night wearing a mask and gloves. That can't be that unusual in today's environment. Right, but anyway. Exactly. So he walked in, he goes behind the counter, announced a robbery, and asked for all the money, according to Philadelphia Police Department Chief Inspector Scott Small. That's a long title. Now, before the three employees who were inside the wing stop could comply with his demands, a customer walked in talking on his cell phone. Okay, so imagine, like, if you're listening to this, put yourself in the shoes of the customer. You're on your phone, it's mom's birthday, it's 1030 at night, you're finally getting around to call her. Happy birthday, mom. You're stopping at the wing stop to get some wings because late night, you're tired, you're hungry. You walk in and you see a dude with a mask just like everybody else. And, but this guy's got a gun and he's like behind the counter and he's yelling. And according to our news story, okay, 
the robber pointed a gun at the customer, the person on the phone, and demanded his cell phone. Okay. So you're talking to mom. Hey, happy birthday, mom. I'm getting myself some wings at Wingstop right now. You walk in and a dude points a gun at you and says, give me your phone. Bad day. Yeah. So our cell phone talking 27-year-old customer pulls his own gun and fires, quote, one shot at the perpetrator, striking him in the neck, end quote. So this is that. I mean, it's, this, this is lights out. This is game over. Would-be robber is dead. And we all get to go home. I guess everybody else gets to go home and wings stop gets to keep its money. And if that dude doesn't get free wings for life, something wrong with that manager. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is an awesome story that I saw and I had to think like, cause normally this, this, the person's already inside the store typically when this kind of stuff goes down, right. This dude just like happens to, you know, for whatever reason walks in on this and he's got to be like, oh man. Right. Like, um, but I, I just want to think, I want people who, if you're listening to this or put yourself, like you said, in the situation and imagine you get to that wing stop door and like a BW threes, they say no firearms allowed. Right now, obviously the dude that goes in there that wants money isn't going to buy by that sign correct and so he goes in with this firearm and the dude who's on his phone walks up sees a sign oh can't carry my firearm let me go back and put it in the car and then he walks in right this has a completely different outcome um and i i would bet that you know the people that were being menaced with the firearm inside um probably would have been happy or if you ask them hey are you happy that you know, Wingstop doesn't prohibit the possession of firearms on the property. They probably say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Um, because you know, that dude actually could have saved our lives. Um, so, you know, obviously we don't know if he's going to execute the whole building or not, but potentially he has the opportunity to, right? Sure. Statistically, the odds are this guy's intention was to get the money and get out. Right. He's got a mask on. He's counting on not being identified later. Um, but statistics aside, when unexpected things happen, right? When you're a criminal and you've mentally rehearsed and you have a mental visualization of how your crime is supposed to go and something throws a wrench in it, like some dude walking in on a cell phone, it doesn't jive with your plan. And and you that might be the thing that you know sends you into some freak out mode. And you might start shooting at people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think that's all valid. The, the short answer is we don't know, mm-hmm. which is why the laws are designed the way they are. You don't have to know. You just have to have reasonable belief, right? Like you just have to be able to say, is it reasonable to believe that some dude with a gun, when he points it at me, is likely or intending to cause me serious bodily injury or death? Like that's that's the question. You don't have to have a knowledge of what his intentions are or what his ability is or if that gun is loaded or if it's actually an airsoft gun or it's just it's irrelevant. What matters is what, what you could reasonably what you would reasonably believe in the moment. I'll add one other thing. Uh because uh, I think your analysis was pretty good. Here's my fancy, not dumb phone in my hand here. And two things occurred to me. One, we talk all the time about situational awareness, but if, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you never are on your phone in public, like, I don't know how you pull that <laughs> off. <laughs> it happens to me. I, I definitely take phone calls. You know, yesterday was grandma's birthday. I only got one grandma left. And so I called her 
you know, I was in public at the time. It was not a convenient, uh, you know, opportunity, but I got to call grandma on her birthday. So I was on the phone in public yesterday talking to grandma. Uh, and she even remembered who I was and everything. It was great. She's 93. And so it was a good day for her, but that's going to happen. So I think that, you know, you can preach the situational awareness thing, but you need to understand this could have been you, no matter who you are and how awesome and vigilant you are. This could have been you. You might not be able to see from the, where you park and how you enter that restaurant that someone's behind the counter conducting a robbery. So no situational awareness might have prevented you from walking in there to begin with and walking in on a phone. Yeah, that happens. And so you need to understand that, that it, you know, let's minimize those things, but it happens. Transitionary spaces are the most dangerous spaces, as we know. So it might be a simple thing to say, hey, hold on a second. I'm walking into a restaurant and be able to get your wits about you while you're in that transitionary space and then resume a phone call. I don't know. My last thought would be this. It's really, really, really challenging to drop something in your hands. I, I was talking to John Korea about this very topic, Matthew, and I asked him, have you ever seen a surveillance video where someone dropped whatever they were holding when they grabbed the gun? He said, no, he's never seen it. And he's analyzed it like 18,000 videos. I've asked a couple of officers the same question. I don't know if you and I have had this, this conversation, Matthew, but to date, I've so far not ever heard of anyone being able to say they've seen someone drop the object in their hand when they went for the gun, like a mm -hmm. flashlight, for example, got my flashlight out, searching around, oh, dropped the flashlight, grabbed the gun. So it's it's something that I don't know if it, it's worth thinking about, but you might need to think about just something as simple as being on the phone might cause you need to be able to need to draw and deploy a gun one handed, or you, it might be something you could practice like drop phone, grab gun. Um, but instinctually nothing in your brain will say it's a good idea to drop your cell phone. Yeah. I actually, you know, it's funny you brought that up. I actually wrote an article, like one of the first articles I wrote about trying to keep your dominant or your, your strong side hand uh, free and not carrying things if you possibly can. And I remember somebody wrote a comment like, well, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just drop whatever your drop, whatever's in your hand. And I just, because I knew um, that's just not how it works in real life. Right. So you could practice on the range and, and that, that is obviously something good. I would say in this incident, him being on the phone might've helped because maybe he uses that opportunity to say, Hey man, yeah, here's my phone. Like you can take my phone. You want my keys too. And that gives him the time to put down the, the phone maybe and transition to use two hands to draw or something like that. Right. So that might've been the opportunity to be like, Oh, you want my phone? Sure. Here you go. And you want my keys too. And instead of grabbing my keys, I'm clearing my garment to, to draw my firearm. So that might've like actually helped him, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. In the heat of it, you're not going to think drop here in this hand pick up your brain just it, it's like we do two things at one time right so um it's really difficult to to, to do so um yeah it's it, it's a total valid point and um i'm glad that this dude was able to get to his firearm whether he drew one-handed or you know gave him the phone or put it down and you know we don't know but um but yeah total valid point i have an advantage a distinct uh, tactical advantage you see uh, I'm right-handed, but I'm deaf in my right ear. Mm -hmm. So I always talk on the phone in my left hand with my left ear. <laughs> so so by nature, my dominant hand is free when I'm on the phone. But that might be something you might consider. Like, should I start teaching myself to use my phone with my non-dominant hand? I don't know. Something mm -hmm. to think about. Yep. All right. I think we got one more, Matthew. This yeah. is Mills on Wheels. So – 
just for those who don't know, Meals on Wheels, and I don't, I'm no expert, okay, but I under, what I understand is that Meals on Wheels is a nonprofit uh, organization, it's a national organization, and they they deliver meals to people who uh, are financially in need of assistance. Uh, and, and I think that they specialize in people who may have dis- maybe have disabilities and are homebound. Is that is am I yeah, yeah. on topic? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So in this case, we have a Meals on Wheels worker shoots teen suspect during armed robbery. So we have a neighborhood where um, a man is he's an employee of Meals on Wheels, and he's apparently well known in this neighborhood because he's often um, in this neighborhood delivering meals. Right. So this is a relatively charitable person. And they are there to deliver meal. And in the course uh, of the delivery, uh, the Meals on Wheels driver, delivery worker person uh, is uh, accosted uh, by an attempted robber. Uh, Very specifically mentions 14-year-old teen suspect. So it's a bad day on today's episode for 14-year-old males, apparently. Uh, Anyway, so a 14-year-old suspect uh, tries to rob this this Meals on Wheels dropper. Uh, driver at gunpoint it specifies so we know that the 14 year old suspect also had a firearm and the good guy uh prevails uh, the good guy you know is able to draw and deploy his own gun and uh defend himself and it works out in his favor the 14 year old suspects rushed to a nearby hospital and is expected to recover so that's a good thing did I miss anything, Matthew? No, no, no. Uh, I think it, it was really good. This is, you know, this is another 14-year-old. So I'm not sure what it is with 14-year-olds, but uh, 14-year-old, you know, armed suspect. And uh, just one quick little statement. Um, it says, Life Care Alliance, the organization that runs Meal on Wheels program, tells ABC in a statement, this was a horrible incident, very unfortunate. And I, I this is, you know, in quotation, don't want volunteers not to feel safe. Do not encourage people to carry a weapon. Um, not really sure because it yeah, seems. What, they, what do they mean by that? Yeah. Right. Like it's a horrible incident. It's unfortunate. Sure. I can agree with that. Don't want people, volunteers to not feel safe. They're going into bad areas. Um, do not encourage people to carry a weapon that made this dude safe and made right. Right. Like it's, it's just, it, it shows a total disconnect in reality, but uh, the guy who is, who was robbed is a retired police officer. He has a, a valid concealed handgun license and everything. No charges are expected to fire, be filed against him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just weird. It kind of shows you the, the disassociation between organizational heads of organizations and the people that are actually doing the work. So mm-hmm. let me ask you a question, Matthew. A little bit of a tangent here, but an extremely common thing we see in these news stories when we read DGU's Justified Saves is the reporters do a really good job of mentioning when the good guy or gal, the the GG, has a concealed weapon permit or concealed handgun license or whatever. Like it's just really commonly mentioned, but most of the time it's semi-irrelevant to the actions conducted. Now it might be relevant to the possession of the right. gun. Um, but I'm just curious if you think it has an impact at all on law enforcement, if law enforcement showing up on scene and sorting crap out and shots have been fired. Uh, 
are we checking to see if this person has a permit? Like, is that is that the relevant question in the moment? I, th- I don't think in the moment. I think later on, you're looking at like all the potential. Are they legally justified to be in the place? Are they legally justified to have the firearm? And then you're kind of looking at, okay, initially, is the, do, you know, was there justified use of force? Yeah. And now are there any complications that would, you know, potentially take away that, that, that ability to, of a claim of self-defense? Are they illegally there? Did they have a duty to retreat or something? So I think that that's kind of like a checklist that they go down, but um, you know, I can't, I, I can't imagine like a reporter getting on scene and being like, uh, are you okay? Do you have a concealed handgun license? Right? Like it'd be like, I want to know, you know, everything else. And then if you have one, that'll come up or I'll ask you at the end. But like, um, it does seem like it's something that like is hyper-focused now, you know, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think your answer is what I would have presumed to be true. Uh, I just think it's interesting that reporters do a really good job of reporting on, you know, the fact that all of our good guys and most of our stories happen to have a consult carry permit. It seems yeah. extremely highly relevant to the news the news teams and journalists of America. Um, and and I, I'll add that it, you know, it might be something that does have a positive impact on an officer. And I think that we've talked about that before when we talk about things like traffic stops, but I think that an officer might, uh, you know, it might create a positive uh, feeling or sentiment for an officer at very least when they do find out that you do have a permit that, that oh, might create sure. this, this sense of, Oh, okay, well this person is, you know, not a criminal that was running around with a gun. I mean, they had a permit. They they obtained it for, you know, to defend themselves. And here they are. And we're in this incident. And looks like that's what happened. So so I do think it it, it does have positive impact uh, for whatever that's worth. But, yeah, it's just I find it bizarre that reporters <laughs> feel that it's extremely relevant information. Right. All right, folks, that's it. That wraps up our episode today. We do need to pull a winner. Uh, We continue to do our weekly giveaways. You can learn more and enter the weekly podcast giveaway at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize, all one word. So make sure you go and enter. Uh, This week, we're pulling a winner of a big, carry a big stick t-shirt. That's a cool t-shirt. I wore it a couple days ago. It says, speak softly and carry a big stick. It's got a picture of an AR-15. What more do you want? It's awesome. Someone's <laughs> going to win that today. Uh, Matthew's going to pull a winner here in just a moment. Next week, we're giving away a DVD. It's our Bump in the Night video training DVD. So make sure you go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and enter to win the Bump in the Night DVD for next week. All right, Matthew, who is the winner? Oh, um, big stick t-shirt. Yes, our winner is Eric with the last name that starts with D. Eric D. Um, I will email you and uh, just if your name is Eric and you, it ends with the or last name starts with D, check your spam mail because sometimes people don't respond when I email them. I don't know if they just don't like me or what, but I'm trying to give you guys the, the giveaway prize that you've won and I don't get a response. So check your spam just in case. There you go. Eric D. I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to pretend that Eric's last name is Dodgson. That sounds cool. So Eric Dodgson, <laughs> you're the winner of the giveaway, the Big Stick t-shirt. Congratulations. All right, folks, that's a wrap. A reminder, uh, depending on how and where you listen to this podcast, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You can do that from any podcast app. And in fact, guess what? Just discovered Audible. For those of you who are Audible users, Audible now has podcast subscriptions. You can launch your Audible app where you listen to all your audiobooks. 
And right there within the Audible app, you can now search for podcasts. And this podcast is in the Audible directory. So you can subscribe to and listen to the Concealed Carry podcast via Audible. And any other app out there that you might like, TuneIn Radio, Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, whatever they call it these days. There's a Google Podcast app. Uh, all of the above. I'm pretty sure anywhere where podcasts can be listened to, you can subscribe to our podcast, and that will ensure you never miss an episode. Please rate this podcast and give us a review on whatever app it is that you prefer to use to listen to us. We appreciate you as a listener. We are thank you for all that you do. Remember that this episode is brought to you by the Mantis and by the Range Tech Shot Timer, both of which are available for sale at concealedcarry.com. So remember, train right. Train often, train hard so you can fight. No, wait, I screwed it up. Dang it, Matthew. Train often, train safe, train right so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.